Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. This episode is being recorded live from the NRFshop.org Digital Summit on Tuesday, September 27th, 2016. As usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. This is the third of our live podcast here from the NRF Clubhouse live at the Digital Summit. And that's our last one for today, but don't be sad. In a short time at 3.30, Jason and I are going to do a breakout session on Level 2 in Room C1 and C2. It's debate season. Uh, hopefully everyone saw the debate last night. And Jason and I are going to be live debating some of the most controversial topics in e-commerce. Since we're here at the shop.org summit, we have virtually unlimited access to some of the big names in the industry. And today we're joined by one of the biggest, Matt Shea, who is CEO of NRF. Hi, guys. Thanks for the invitation. We're excited to have you here. Sure. I know you're, you're kind of the, I call it the Mayor McCheese of this event. Uh, and uh, I know you're super busy trying Mayor to meet McCheese everyone. Or, and or Mayor of the Munchkin. <laughs> Mayor McCheese. I'll go with McCheese. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's, uh, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to, to be on the podcast. Well, thank you. It's, it's fun to be here. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, we have a huge national, uh, international audience, and I thought we'd start with, uh, you know, what is the NRF? And, and love to learn a little bit about your career of how did you end up at the NRF? And just give us a little little riff on, on the background of yourself, and, and then also what is the NRF uh, and, and what role does it serve? So uh, the NRF is the, the National Retail Federation, and uh, so we are the uh, trade association for the retail industry. Uh, in the United States, primarily, but also around the world, we've got members from a uh, hundred, more than a hundred countries. Uh, we've got twenty-five thousand member companies. Those are both traditional bricks and mortar retailers, digital retailers, and uh, as you two know and talk about often uh, on this podcast, um, you know those worlds are increasingly converging. Uh, and we also have uh, solution providers and strategic partners uh, who provide services to help uh, face those opportunities ahead. So. Uh, we have been around for more than 100 years, and um, we are headquartered in Washington, D.C., with primarily an uh, advocacy mission, government relations, lobbying, promoting the industry. And obviously, as you are seeing here uh, at the show this week and at our other events, with the, an enormous um, mission of connecting our uh, friends and our partners uh, with one another and um, delivering education and uh, thought leadership and research uh, to help drive the industry forward and, and make everyone more successful. Cool. And how did you become involved with NRF? So I was uh, very fortunate to, to uh, join NRF about six years ago. Uh, I'd been leading another trade association in Washington, D.C. called the International Franchise Association and uh, had been there for many years, um, uh, four or five as the CEO. And so primarily the, the career was in uh, Washington, D.C., representing sort of consumer-facing industries uh, on policy issues and, and also thought leadership and, uh, and, and events uh, and conferences and trade shows like this one. So there's a, very, a, a lot of similarity, both in the, uh, the structure of the business and the composition of the membership. Lots of diversity in the membership. You can imagine what our membership looks like if we go from, you know, the legacy uh, bricks and mortar all the way to the digital. So there's a lot of variability on the uh, vertical side and then horizontally from the very largest, you know, from a Walmart down to the very smallest 
uh, startup digital company. So we are a, a, a very heavily matrixed organization and lots of people in lots of boxes across uh, department stores, discount stores, luxury stores, uh, grocery stores, chain restaurants, uh, specialty retailers, uh, you know, home goods, uh, you sort of name it all the way uh, throughout the entire ecosystem. Yeah, and then um, so so for folks that don't know, is what is a trade association? Is it a um, is it a nonprofit or is it more? Uh, we just had uh, Brad from REI on talking about co ops, so we're learning today all about different business models out there. So give us the basics of what is a trade association? Yeah, no, that's a, it's a, an excellent uh, excellent question, Scott. So um, so a trade association is basically a community um, of either corporations or individuals, and, and in our case, technically speaking. Um, the, the, the companies are the members, and so a company joins um, the association, uh, shop.org uh, or, or NRF, and uh, the company joins the organization uh, in order to associate with other companies uh, that are in similar businesses and to learn from one another and to uh, uh, gain, the, uh, gain the benefits of being in a like-minded community where you can network with each other and share thoughts and ideas uh, and also participate in an organization that uh, hopefully helps to promote the industry uh, of which you are a part and help tell the story of that industry. And so uh, in our case, we talk uh, a lot about the, uh, the issues in Washington um, that legislators and regulators are considering, whether it's, um, uh, you know, whether they're labor issues or tax issues or privacy or payments, uh, a- a- any of those things. Um, that, that affect lots of people in the industry. And then uh, the other benefit, I think, in addition to that, of course, is the opportunity to build relationships with your, with your peers and with your colleagues uh, and get the thought leadership that exists uh, really only, and I think especially uniquely at events like this when we bring people together. There's a certain uh, you know, one or two dimensionality to, uh, to doing things anywhere other than an, an event like this one. And, and when people are together, there's an energy level uh, that, that exists. And, and there's also the um, you know, sort of the unexpected. You lean to the person on your left or right at a, at a meeting and you introduce yourself. And within a couple of years, who knows, you might be, uh, you might be really close. Uh, Maybe podcasting. You, know, <laughs> you, know, you could be who that. Knows? Yeah, yeah. Any one of those things. So, so my first exposure to NRF was at a, a summit uh, like this. Uh, Jason met his wife at a summit. I don't know if you, you really realize you bring people together. Um, but uh, and then I got invited to go to the big show, and I was kind of like, so this show blew my mind the first time I came to it. And then I went to the big show, uh, which you guys typically have in January. Um, tell us a little bit about the big show for anyone that hasn't come to that, the, so the, the scale. So there's like 5,000-ish people at this digital summit and then the big show. Yeah, the big show is um, more like 35,000. Yeah. Uh, it's in New York. It's in January. Uh, it is a much older uh, event. I've been around for more than 100 years in some form or fashion. Uh, obviously evolved tremendously over those years. Uh, and uh, that has evolved into, a, uh, I think, substantially a technology show, um, heavy on uh, the kinds of uh, solutions that CIOs um, are, are looking for inside companies. That was sort of the trajectory, but it's really now become uh, an event at which almost regardless of where you are in the, in the uh, retail operational you know, table of organization, there's an event for you at that. It's just gotten so big yeah. that uh, it's really sort of the can't, can't miss uh, once a year event that attracts um, 
executives from across the United States and also from around the world. So we have a substantial number of international delegates that attend uh, each and every year. So that one is uh, is the older show. It's it's much more of a legacy show. Um, it's evolved to the point that I, I think you know one of the descriptions I heard a CEO of a, of a major retailer describe having been to both of these events over the years. He described it as the big show is the kind of place where you can identify solutions that could be deployed in your business tomorrow and uh, and solve problems you're facing today. And and the digital summit, uh, where we're seeing what's happening here this week, that these are the kinds of things that uh, certainly some of it you could deploy today to, to solve uh, problems you're going to face tomorrow. Um, but there's also a greater exposure to the things that may be happening uh, over one or three or five years uh, than than the uh, than you see at the big show. I think they exist in both exist in both places, but that's sort of the, the this, this is a little more cutting edge even than that, and uh, even more innovation here I think than than you see there in some ways. Um, that's a yeah. I think, pretty, then, uh, I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. One one last thing on that. Uh, it's been interesting going. My first trip to the big show was probably five years ago, and it was very heavy kind of store influence. So it was like point of sale systems and self checkouts. And then it's been really interesting over that five year arc to see the worlds collide where now you have demandware there and Magento and, and then even, even the, the big providers like Oracle, IBM, Microsoft, they've really tied in the web and, and how you bring that into the store. So it's been pretty interesting to kind of see that progression and see things collide that way. Yeah, and I, and I think that uh, that's very reflective of what's happening in the consumer economy, what retailers face every single day. And so the, the show uh, has evolved that way to reflect the way that uh, the people want to shop. And, and so cons- you know, consumers are driving the business changes that and the investments that retailers need to make in order to, to connect and engage with them the right, the right ways and uh, deliver things to them at the time and place of their choosing. Uh, so you sort of see the uh, you know the old one about uh, Wayne Gretzky's the great one uh, quote about you don't skate where the puck is you skate where the puck's going to be and I think what what we see where the puck is going to be is that uh, digital players uh, are going to look in some ways more like the legacy bricks and mortar retailers and the legacy bricks and mortar retailers uh, are clearly going to look much more like uh, the digital e-commerce players because they just have to uh, evolve that way and I think that's. Uh, in many ways uh, reflected that what we see both at the content uh, the conversations at both shows and also of course uh, on the uh, Expo 4 and looking around at the uh, exhibitors here this week yeah we actually had some dinosaurs I don't know I couldn't tell if they were wrestling or having a fashion show but, but that was kind of an interesting thing there yeah uh, I think it's it's interesting to follow the evolution of the two shows. I know Scott's been to many more shop.orgs than I've been to, uh, but I think this is uh, I've been to the big show now for like 19 years, and it's the anthropology of that show is really interesting. Like the the thing that's most important or new for retailers has has evolved a lot over that time, and you know it, at any given time when EDI was becoming a big deal, that was all you heard about on the big show floor, or then when retailers moved from sort of digital cash registers to POS, like, you know, the show was dominated by the POS vendors or the traffic vendors. And to your point, now you walk around that show and a, a big portion of the vendors of that show are the, you know, the, a similar set of digital vendors that, you, that you've always been used to seeing at this show. And so that really tells me that we're officially seeing the sort of convergence of those, those two disciplines. Yeah, I think that's 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 very much what we see, and I, you know, there's uh, there's just 
the, the pace of change, and uh, you know, this is almost cliche-ish because it gets talked about all the time, but, but the pace of change, uh, and, and I think as, as got discussed uh, in one of the uh, opening sessions this morning, we had sort of a futurist and a physicist um, talking about you know, the future of the world. And, and uh, in some ways, it almost appears as if there's uh, too much information. I mean, you're almost overwhelmed by the, by the uh, potential solutions that exist out there. And so figuring out how to navigate your way through all those solutions and deploy your, your capital investments and your people the right way and, and, and your, uh, your different strategies. I think that's one of the things that you have the opportunity to, to improve dramatically when you attend and you build those relationships with your peers and colleagues is you sort of have a way of sifting through all of that and, and you can kind of sort the data, so to speak, and understand as you walk around a show floor as big as this one, okay, you know, where do I go to find the solution I need for my business? Uh, you, you know, you almost need someone to give you some guidance about, you know, where do I begin? And then when I begin there, okay, I know I need this, but there are maybe 50 companies or 100 that could provide the solution. Well, how do I even sort those? And, uh, and I think that's, you know, a big benefit of being here is having the chance to, you know, sort of work through that process. You know, we talk about social proof. It's kind of like peer proof where you can, yes. you know, you can go and talk to the other CIO or head of digital and kind of say, hey, I'm thinking about these six things. What are you thinking about? Yeah, it's interesting to see those conversations happen organically at the show. Yeah, yeah, there's that, that, that natural benchmarking or peer review that goes on that you're sort of constantly trying to recalibrate and like what's the new equilibrium on uh, you know, what, what's the current thinking on a particular solution or a line of solutions? And then from there, you know, who are the best providers? Uh, speaking of that, we're now sort of one day into this show. Is Are any sort of trends or, you know, common topics starting to emerge in your mind from this year's show? Yeah, you know, um, it, it's been uh, such a great first day and uh, first half of the day as we get into the afternoon here. And, uh, and I've had the the chance to make the briefest of uh, walks onto the show floor uh, because of the general sessions going on and and you know we do a lot of uh, on the content side on the programming side a lot of um, customized and, and personalized programs even more than than maybe we have done in the past so we've got a, a CMO Chief Marketing Officer Council going meeting going on right now we had a, a women's lunch uh, earlier we've got student programs going on highlighting. Uh, Students that are looking for careers in um, in, in retail that have dis- you know experience in IT and, and engineering um, and, and mathematics. Uh, so I, I haven't had as much time to walk through the show floor as, as I would like yet and see some of the solutions. But I think the topics um, among the topics that we've heard people discussing are things that um, you know in some ways uh, you know the out there topics, things people used to think were even. Um, more dramatic, you know, science fiction kinds of solutions, like like drones, like virtual reality and augmented reality. Did, did Scott pay you to give that answer? Uh, he, he didn't, <laughs> but I'm, my badge. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad my badge to hear. says ask me about drones. So. I, I'm glad to, <laughs> I, I didn't see the badge, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that we're on the same uh, flight plan or wavelength uh, on that issue. So I mean, some really interesting solutions and enhancements to uh, to businesses. That you know, a couple of years ago, people would have said, "Oh, that's you know, way far off in the future." And and I think that's the interesting thing about this show is you're always having those conversations about not the thing that's right in front of your nose, but the thing that you don't know is going to be right in front of your nose sooner than you think it will. 
Yeah, one, one thing I notice uh, when I come to the show floor, I always kind of look at those big anchor tenants kind of thing. Um, Demandware has always had an interesting kind of innovative booth with when you're the head Godiva chocolates. They always highlight a customer. Um, I like Cole Haan. They've always done some cool stuff there. And there's no Demandware booth here this year. And uh, I was kind of like taken aback, and I remembered, aha, yes, they've been acquired by Salesforce. Uh, and it turns out that today is the day they changed all their corporate branding to be the new Salesforce. And I have to look over at it. What is it? The... Uh, E-commerce cloud? cloud, commerce yeah. cloud, not e-commerce cloud. So, so that's kind of an interesting new kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that that's uh, it, and it's very thematic that some of these really big companies are really starting to wake up to the opportunity in, in digital retail. Um, Netsuite has been a you know has a pending acquisition with Oracle. Um, am I missing anything on that big front? I think those are the big ones. I think yeah, for this year those are the big ones. But that's really sort of. You know, uh, following a trend of the last several years with like eBay and PayPal have separate booths, so that's interesting. Yep, <laughs> yep, and uh, uh, Braintree in, in the that yeah. PayPal ecosystem. Uh, certainly, Hybris getting acquired by SAP yep. a, a year ago, and so it just, uh, the vendors at this show are getting bigger and bigger as the the sort of you know things that were niche to just this industry are becoming very mainstream and so we're seeing a lot of acquisitions and mergers yeah and it's there, you know salesforce is a crm system um and you see that kind of colliding with this so understanding that customer from all angles is, is kind of becoming important uh jason you you keynoted sorry you, you emceed some of the keynotes uh i was not able to because i was here sweating it out in the booth while you were having fun doing that thanks um, for doing that Scott, yeah by the way the you cleaned up the booth really nicely. Thanks, thanks. All I saw was a tweet about killer laser beams of doom. So, so give us kind of a, a, a synopsis of what happened at the keynotes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Matt, Matt sort of alluded to one of the first keynote of the day, uh, which is uh, Doctor uh, Michio Kakao, who uh, is literally one of the the co-founders of string theory. So you know, I I feel like that's an ongoing joke for me is like understanding th- string theory and. <laughs> So it was uh, uh, a fulfillment of a dream to meet a guy that actually does understand. That would be a little it, scary. I'd have like one sentence and I'd be way in over my head on that conversation. Yeah, I didn't even try. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, so in addition to being a preeminent physicist, he's written a lot about uh, predicting the future. And 20 years ago, he wrote this book about um, how he saw the future evolving. And it's a lot of stuff that now feels very familiar to us. Like, you know, he really anticipated the the diminishing cost of technology and how that would make things ubiquitous. Um, and then there are a few predictions in his, his book that haven't come true yet. And one of them specific to commerce is that, man, all of the information we are going to need to shop are going to show up as augmented reality on our contact lenses. Um, and so, you know, he, he sort of described this much more elegant version of Google Glass and that, that uh digital would really reduce a lot of the friction in shopping and we'd get much richer more personalized information to help us make purchase decisions um you know for a a a physicist like he he really did a pretty good job of highlighting a lot of the the trends that you and i talk about in, in the evolution of retail um and so but to keep him sort of grounded he was interviewed by mark Marin. Um, who's a, a, a great comedian and a very prolific uh, podcaster himself. So, so Mark was sort of the skeptic and was, was holding uh, uh, Dr. Cacao's uh, um, uh, um, feet to the fire a little bit, which was kind of fun. Um, so one of the things that, that he talked about was that, hey, uh, we need to solve the security problem. That like as, as Now we're all relying on digital and we just can't have these vulnerabilities that we have. 
So he's like, that there, there's going to be a new internet, um, and it'll be pre predominantly based on optical communication, lasers communicating with each other. And one of the advantages of that is uh, that when any third party tabs into the communication stream, it changes the polarity of the laser. So you can actually um, have a much more secure communication system where you know when, when someone's uh, interrupting the communication. And uh, Mark chimed in, and then can the laser kill them? Ah, so good. that uh -huh. that became it all makes uh, sense. Yeah, that was a long explanation for a short joke, but a very but a very good explanation for pretty complex subject matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then how does string theory tie into that? Yeah, and, and, and fairly entertaining. I thought delivered in an, in, in an entertaining way. I, you know, I, 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 Scott, since you had to be here on you know KP duty, uh, as they say, uh, or, or B, you know BP duty. Um, you know, I think that the one of the things that I took away from the session was sort of the the, the, the theme of uh, Dr. Kiku's entire um, you know hypothesis about the future was that um, that the change that we will experience will eliminate friction uh, in our life of, of all sorts. So whether it is uh, you know the uh, the speed at which commerce takes place, or whether it's the ease with which we um, you know complete our daily tasks. Uh, whether they are the mundane or the complex, that uh, that the future that will be touched by um, all of these technologies we're talking about, whether drones or vir virtual or, or digital or augmented reality uh, and, and, and laser beams and the parallel uh, Internet that's going to be more secure, um, that, that all of it is intended to um, reduce friction uh, in, in those transactions and interactions uh, and, and create greater levels of security to the point that I think, you know, one of the analogies he used was, uh, you know, once upon a time, a hundred years ago, and we we thought, or a hundred and twenty-five years ago, we 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 were more, um, we we were more aware of um, electricity, for example, and and so you, I mean, you actually was something you had to think about. As opposed to today, something you, that in many parts of the world, we're, we're fortunate to be in, in, in a part of the world in which we have this luxury and not all parts of the world do, that we can sort of take, you know, uninterrupted, reliable uh, electric power uh, for granted. Now, this is a commercial for the Edison Electric Institute and, and all their members and power generating companies. But I guess what he was trying to suggest was that at some point in the future, the Internet, for example, and computers, for example, will be things that we don't have to think about. They'll just, they'll just be there. They'll be so uh, ingrained in the infrastructure of our lives that it'll just be a given uh, in, in many ways, as electricity has become, uh, certainly in, uh, in the developed world. Is he a singularity guy? Like, does he believe we'll, we'll upload our brains someday, like um, Kurzweil or... or so didn't really we get didn't into that. cover that. I actually listened to a couple of other podcasts from him, um, and he, he, I think, doesn't believe that. I think he believes that there's um, some level of variability in the chemistry of our brain um, that you literally, you know, you can't replicate us with artificial intelligence, for example. Um, but but uh, a couple other things from his, his keynote that really caught my attention. You know, he talked about the fact that we're all evolved from hunters, and so that we, we really are hardwired to want these physical trophies of our hunts. And so he... He used that as sort of a metaphor to say there's always going to be a, a physical component to shopping, um, which you know I think resonated with a lot of the, uh, the the retail members here here at the session. 
Um, and then a real practical metaphor uh, that, that he had, he talked about um, taking advantage of these future trends is a lot like surfing. Um, you have to anticipate where the wave is going to evolve, but you can't catch the wave if you're either too late or too early. Um, so the real art form is both knowing where there are going to be good waves, but also getting the timing right. And so I, I think, frankly, he he was advising that you know sometimes it's better to be a fast follower than try to be that first surfer to catch that wave and end up getting wiped out by being being too early. <laughs> yeah, he he did, and and I was you know there's all the the debate in uh, marketing and the literature about. You know, first mover advantage, and you know he he was not a proponent necessarily of first mover first mover advantage in the traditional sense. He sounded much more like the guy that said, "Let a few guys go before you, and and fail spectacularly, so that you can sort of surf in, so to speak, behind them, uh, or be in that that uh, that tail that gets created." Cool. So then after that, uh, there was the J.C. Penny keynote. Um, what were some of the highlights on that one? Yeah, so that was Mike Almond, um, and so he's uh, been at JCPenney about a year. He's the EVP of Omni Channel for JCPenney. Um, uh, like a lot of the luminaries we talk about on uh, this show, he, he uh, has a distinguished career in our in our industry. He, he came to JCPenney from from uh, Home Depot, and prior to Home Depot, he ran digital for Dell. Um, so he's talking a lot about. Uh, the reinvention of JCPenney, a hundred-year-old retailer, um, and how they they really plan to leverage omni-channel as a competitive advantage, um, and that they're really expanding their assortment and changing their value proposition for for the core JCPenney customers. So that was things like uh, expanding and rolling out the appliance category and things like that. Um, we had a good conversation about uh, how JCPenney can acquire enough talent to achieve all its goals. Um, and I found that interesting, and that dovetailed very well to our third keynoter, um, who is the founder of Girls Who Code. Um, and and uh, she's, uh, to me, a very inspirational woman that, that uh, has really made it her life's mission to address this huge gender gap we have in the technology industry. Yeah. Um, and so they have a lot of innovative programs to expose uh, young girls to technology and get them excited about exploring careers in technology. And that, that whole talent thing really feels like one of the trends at this show, um, that as we have all this digital growth, uh, we need a lot of new people to come to the space, and we frankly need smarter people that are, that are more well-grounded in these new, new trends that seem a little foreign to the, the three of us at this table. And... Uh, um, you know, I think people are spending a lot of brain cycles about that, and uh, that uh, one of the great examples is, of course, uh, NRF and Shop.org have our own scholarship program, the Ray Greenlee Scholarship. So maybe the the uh, one of my favorite parts of the day is that we bring all the finalists out for the Ray Greenlee Scholarship and award those scholarships. Yeah, that was that was very exciting. Um, and Jason, that's an excellent example, and that's one of the things that you, you know the whole emphasis on. Um, on talent and on the next generation and on giving back. Uh, I mean, all of those things are reflected in uh, certainly uh, with with the example of Girls Who Code and with the uh, the scholarship that that we uh, confer and the other scholarships we do and you know the enormous investment we've made through our foundation uh, generally, but through through shop and uh, and through the NRF. I mean, it's, it's sort of part of the the culture of the organization. And uh, so today we were able to, to recognize one of those students with a $25,000 scholarship and the four runners-up, uh, $5,000 scholarships. 
Uh, these were 25 enormously uh, qualified, uh, competent, uh, scary, smart young people, very poised and very articulate. And, uh, w- you know, people that have backgrounds and, and interests in uh, sort of more the, the hard sciences, in, I mean, in the sense of mathematics and, and science and technology and engineering. Uh, and, uh, and those are all young folks that, that will be, if they're not already, um, you know, engaged in retail careers. And, and we're happy to have the, the chance to support them. And that, that's a, an exciting uh, and I think a really very, very worthwhile, meritorious um, element of, of you know, what we're able to do here through the scholarship activities and really through the generosity of, uh, uh, of the members of shop.org uh, over the years to create that scholarship and their foresight. Uh, in thinking about how we prepare for the next generation. Yeah, there's um, when you kind of open up the Wall Street Journal, there's always these articles about the millennials and they don't eat cereal because it's too hard to put together and, you know, all these kinds of things. And then you come and you meet some of these young people and you're blown away. You know, you meet these 18, 19, 20-year-olds and they've, they're they so passionate about what they're doing and articulate and, you know, they're, they, they ask amazing questions about data science and, and those kinds of things. It makes you feel a lot better about the future than you do after you read the Wall Street Journal. So so I always take those things a little bit with a grain of salt. So I, I think we're in good hands with, with millennials and Gen Z. Um, and it's great to see NRF really kind of finding the cream of the crop and, and supporting them and bringing them into retail. Yeah, and you think, you know, that one of the, well, among all the labor statistics that get talked about, one that maybe doesn't get enough emphasis is the statistic that uh, at the moment in this country, we've got the highest number of uh, jobs unfilled because of skills mismatches in the, in the history of uh, recording that data. So 5.7 or 5.8 million unfilled jobs because the right skills don't exist. And, you know, certainly that, that's reflective of, you know, a number of policy issues, uh, you know, one of which is probably immigration policy. And, and, you know, we don't have that mix right and we need to fix it. But a huge component of that is that you know, our educational system, our training system, we're not providing the right skills and, uh, and workforce experiences uh, for these young people. And so we're, you know, we're behind the curve there and we'll, we'll, we'll catch up. We will. The market will demand it and, uh, and employers and, and individual job seekers will drive it. So those lines will intersect at some point. But at the moment, there's an enormous gap that is uh, unfilled. And I think that's an opportunity for uh, for us to do the part that we can do. Obviously, we can't fill that entire gap on our own, but uh, but there's certainly a need, and uh, we should continue to play a big role there. So so uh, we've talked about kind of the current situation. Let's take it a, a little bit to the future. Um, you guys tend to put out some really good holiday forecasts, and you typically do kind of a, an overall retail and then a digital one. I think it's too early for those. Those haven't been published, but do you have any kind of vibes on how the holiday is going to shape up this year? So the so the uh, NRF uh, holiday forecast uh, will be released in uh, in early October. So couple, about two more weeks, we'll do it. Um, and it's an exclusive sneak peek. Yeah. So so I think an exclusive sneak peek is uh, that we see consumers uh, in a very strong position uh, relative to where they've been, you know, since the outcome of the recession in two thousand and nine. So. Um, you know, wages are increasing. We've seen some data out of census uh, just in the last two weeks that uh, household incomes are up and uh, and biggest levels uh, since 2009, since before the recession. So we know that uh, consumers are, uh, in relative terms, much more healthy than they were. Um, we know the you know the wealth effect and, and home prices in the stock market 
that doesn't affect every consumer in the marketplace, but they're all indicators. Uh, you know, gas prices are still low by historic standards. Um, savings rates are high. Uh, people are starting to take on more debt. Um, you know, I think the, the, the question is, um, how will consumers spend as we go into this holiday season? Uh, I, think, I think they're in a good place. And uh, so I think, you know, all the fundamentals, the elements are all there for this to be uh, a very positive holiday season. Yeah. In the, in the last two holidays, a lot of those things have been lined up, but the, the consumer's kind of chosen to do other things. If I listen to kind of uh, the CEOs of some of the public companies, there's, there's this weird thing where people are, you know, they're spending their money on, uh, they're saving more or they're spending their money on experiences and services versus retail goods. Um, or, uh, you know, another big winner seems to be kind of, you know, the, the iPhones and the Samsung devices and, and that kind of thing. Um, you think that's playing out or it's kind of hard, hard to tell if, if that's going to still be a, a bit of a headwind into this holiday? I think we, we, uh, th- those are all, um, you know, Scott, those are really valid uh, assessments of where we've been. So we've seen, uh, if you just look at how much money gets spent on technology and technology plans today, um, out of a, out of an individual's uh, monthly budget or annual budget compared to ten years ago, obviously that that money came from somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a little bit of trading around. Uh, healthcare costs have have gone up, and and that's been uh, much in the news as we make the transition to to new forms of healthcare, and uh, people are still sorting out you know how those costs uh, shake out. And then we've seen people putting uh, money into automobiles and into their homes, um, and uh, and then into discretionary experience, hospitality, lodging, dining, all the the categories you identified. And uh, I think the the unique thing about the holiday season is that um, it is uh, much more of a of an emotional sort of uh, an experience. And so, in that regard, you know, there are opportunities. I think for retailers to um, you know, to, to give consumers that opportunity to share an experience, and to the extent that you create uh, a holiday shopping, um, you know, experience that makes someone feel good about uh, what they're doing, uh, I think that's that's going to be the key. You know, we have the sort of to a certain extent the distraction of the presidential uh, election that's created. Is a that lot. going on right now? Yeah, <laughs> that'll be done by in November. Yeah, that's right. So we'll, it'll we'll it'll least, be over. We'll at least know. Yeah, we'll have it. That's right. I'm kind of burned out on it myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, speaking of presidential elections, I know one of the the, the value adds uh, that the National Retail Federation provides is the governmental advocacy, um, and there there's always a big slate of of things that we're working on. Are there any particular advocacy issues that are sort of that you know top of mind right now that are you know either coming up for votes or are particularly hot uh, in Washington? So, I, I, you know, I, I think, first of all, we want to keep the government open. And uh, so we'll start, with, we'll start with the basic, you know, uh, fulfilling the basic duties of let's keep the government open uh, and, uh, and running. Is and, there a budget kind of thing, isn't it? Isn't, uh, yeah, yeah. Like early December? By the, December well, by the end of this week, we, we need to do something. Oh, really? So it's which, that which will, that. which will, I think, I think we'll get done. It's, 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 it's not in anyone's interest of either party to... Uh, you know, have something uh, you know distracting happen uh, just just two months before the election. So that that wouldn't serve anyone's purposes at this particular point in time. You know, I think both political parties would recognize that would be a losing proposition for both of them because they both have candidates running for 
election at the top of the ticket and all the way throughout the ticket. So I think that, uh, you know, Congress doesn't do anything until absolutely the last minute anyway. So I think, we'll, you know, something will get done. Um, you know, I think as, as we look ahead to the next year, there are some things that, that we feel strongly uh, should be addressed. And, and it is uh, a bit uh, disconcerting that to the extent those things are being discussed now, there's not a lot of enthusiasm uh, for them. You know, a trade deal uh, is the obvious example. I, mean, I think that, you know, it's certainly understandable why um, the soundbite against trade uh, can sometimes be very powerful. And coming from, you know, the Midwest, uh, originally growing up there and spending, you know, almost 30 years in Ohio before I moved away, I know that, 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 that my old home state uh, has been affected dramatically. I mean, it's sort of ground zero in many ways for some of the negative effects of, uh, of what's happened uh, to certain businesses, you know, when globalization and, and technology forces, uh, you know, alter the, the, the historic way of doing business. Uh, and so, you know, there are no doubt uh, very legitimate concerns about, you know, how we make sure that going forward people get the training and the skills and the education they need to make that transition. Uh, the reality is we can't uh, pine away for the good old days. The good old days won't come back. Uh, and so we can't go backwards. We've got to go forwards. And we have to recognize that if you, if you look across the breadth of the economy, the benefits of trade, while they're more widely diffused across the economy, uh, are apparent in everything we do. Uh, for every individual in the United States, the, life is better today than it was 25 or 50 years ago in many, many ways. Uh, and that ranges from consumer to, to health care to uh, transportation, logistics, supply, I mean, across the board. And much of that is due to trade. So, uh, you know, seeing, you know, the, the, the National Party candidates uh, speak negatively about trade uh, when both of them have uh, been for it in the past. Uh, you know, w w you know. I think ultimately trade is something we have to do because if we don't, we'll be left behind. Uh, tax reform is the other big, obvious example of something that needs to get done. Uh, the president uh, has said uh, repeatedly, and members of leadership and in, in both both parties in the Congress have said everyone recognizes the need for uh, tax reform. Uh, you we mean specifically sales tax, or you're including income tax in that? Well, I, th I think you know corporate tax. Uh, depending on who you talk to, the personal income tax, because while we've got, you know, one million C-Corps, we've got 30 plus million, um, you know, businesses filing as individuals. And so you sort of can't do one without the other because you, you know, the, you, you get corporations a tax rate of 25% and yet individuals who compete in many ways with some of those uh, organizations that are incorporated differently are still going to pay 40 or 45%. So, you know, there's a deal in there somewhere. I think that's, that's, the, that's the stumbling block. Uh, obviously, in a big way, is uh, you know how do you address the the challenges of of the existing sorts of uh, expenditure tax expenditures and credits that exist, and how do you get the rate to a, a level that it is competitive around the world? And at thirty five percent corporate rate, we're we're clearly not competitive with countries that are ten or fifteen percent. Uh, we're the highest in the world. Uh, there's a reason that companies uh, are doing these tax inversion deals. It's not because they, uh, I think, want to move jobs out of this country. It's because they're trying to be, be competitive. They want to remain relevant uh, in a global marketplace. And, you know, the marketplace has become globalized, but our tax system has not. And so the market is more competitive and our tax system is not competitive. And, 
you know, you've got a complete um, mismatch there. So I think, you know, those are two issues that we talk about a lot. And, uh, and then there are others that are unique to, to retail, um, you know, whether they relate to, relate to privacy or they relate to payments. Um, so there are many other issues that uh, we want to address. And then, of course, there's a whole range of, uh, of labor issues uh, because the retail industry has historically been so labor intensive and for the foreseeable future will continue to be. Uh, and so to the extent that the cost of labor increases, cost of labor increases, uh, that drives up expenses for everyone. So I think those, those, those are all categories of things we need to get on about um, in the next. And then immigration, I mentioned earlier, but that's another one where, you know, we, we can't close our borders to the world for either um, goods or services or the individuals that provide them and why we, you know, the, we all know the refrain about why we bring the, the best and brightest young people from around the world to this country, educate them, and then send them away. Uh, you know, th- this country is built on uh, a robust immigration uh, policy and an immigrant population that grew this country for generations and made it what it is today. I would venture to say that the three of us and most of the people listening to this podcast uh, are uh, descendants of immigrants to this country uh, themselves. And uh, so we all should recognize that, you know, our diversity is uh, just as it is in shop.org and NRF. You know, diversity is one of our key strengths and differentiators. And to the extent that we let go of that, I think we let go of our future as well as our past. Cool. That That's uh that's good, and that's just a sampling. I know there's a lot of other stuff you guys are working on. If people are interested in, in uh, learning more about NRF, they can go to nrf.org. Um, and we want to lose our com. Dot, oh, sorry, dot com, nrf.com. Uh, and we want to lose our, use our last kind of four minutes to think. So that was kind of a you know holiday, and then a year out. What do you think is going to be the big trends in three to five years? We, we talked about drones a little bit. You know, death lasers. I, I'm not sure if, if that may be like ten years out, so that may be a little too far out. But but what are some of the things that, that you track and think retailers should be thinking about? Well, I, I think that um, that consumers will uh, will continue to be agnostic as to the the channel uh, through which they engage with with uh, retail businesses, and as a result, um, the convergence in retail that's taking place today, that that uh, dipping of the toe in the water of some legacy uh, e-commerce businesses getting into the bricks and mortar business, and the uh, the existing bricks and mortar retailers starting to sort of edit their portfolio of retail and, and engage in even more uh, of the best practices from digital online. I think that will be accelerated uh, to the point that, you know, I don't think we'll ever see a point where, where you know, th- those two worlds come together and it's completely identical and you won't be able to distinguish who used to be legacy e-commerce, uh, pure retailer, and who used to be legacy bricks and mortar. But I think that uh, the consumer is going to insist that the future experience that, that they want uh, l- makes the world look uh, relatively indistinguishable. And so you're going to see uh, the water's edge begin to disappear uh, e- even more dramatically than it has today. And, and I think that's, that's reflected you know, where we started at the top of the show, what the exhibits look like, what the content looks like at this program and others, just the way that's changed. And we know how quickly consumers are moving. Uh, I mean, consumers are going to drive this change. And so the companies that are able to uh, respond and adapt, or, or better yet, anticipate, uh, to use uh, Jason's you know, observation about getting on the wave at the right time, those, those businesses will flourish, and the ones that don't really won't be around anymore. I mean, I think the time for uh, half measures is going to come and go, and some of those businesses will just, will just cease to exist 
uh, because they won't be able to keep pace with where consumers are headed. Very cool, Matt. Well, it's happened again. Uh, we have used all our allotted time, and it has flown by. We really appreciate you taking time out from the show to spend a few minutes with us and educate our users or listeners about uh, the National Retail Federation. Um, and uh, as a reminder, we're, we still have a breakout session at 3.30 today in Level 2, Room C1. So we hope to see everyone there. Matt, are you coming to our session? I, I, I will be there. I'm going to walk okay. there with All you right. now. Okay. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's been great to be part of the show. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And we're done with our live podcasting for today, but we'll be back up tomorrow at 9 a.m. with Rob Schmoltz from Talbots and then Facebook at 945. Thanks again, Matt. We really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.